For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Well, hi again, everybody. I'm Tom Brenneman, and you are dialed in. Since 1882, Children's Home of Northern Kentucky has been a lifeline for children and families in crisis. Now known as CHNK Behavioral Health, its team of doctors, nurses, and therapists impacts nearly 4,000 kids and families every year. An array of mental health services, including counseling, addiction treatment, and psychiatric residential care. CHNK also continues to care for abused and neglected youth who are in the state's custody. Right now, CHNK Behavioral Health is offering a free 10-minute conversation with a clinical therapist to help families dealing with the increased pressures caused by the ongoing pandemic. Visit www.chnk.org for more details or for the free conversation with a therapist, call one 844 Y-E-S-C-H-N-K. Christopher Andrew Sabo, our guest coming up, was born in Detroit, Michigan in January of 1962. It's hard to believe he's now 61 years young, doesn't it? Gosh, it's hard to believe. His father was a plumber, a great golfer. As my dad just alluded a a moment ago, his mom was a waitress. Sabo attended Detroit Catholic Central High School. He was a three-sport star in hockey, a goalie, great golfer, still is now, and, of course, in baseball. He attended the University of Michigan, where he and Barry Larkin led the Wolverines to a college World Series. Sabo was drafted by the Reds in the second round of the 1983 Major League Draft. Five years later, was the National League's Rookie of the Year and in 1990 helped propel the Reds to a World Series title, an unbelievable World Series. Nine hits and 16 at-bats, two home runs, five knocked in. Chris Abo would play in three All-Star games, and three times he was the best fielding defensive third baseman in the National League. Since retiring, he's had coaching stints in the Reds organization, also in summer ball, and helped relaunch the baseball program at the University of Akron. But most importantly, most importantly, he has been a husband going all the way back to 1989 to his bride, Susan. And they are the uh, mother and father of three children, Annie, Brooke, and Olivia. Of course, Annie, you see regularly as part of the Reds uh, television broadcast, hosting the pregame and postgame shows. Chris Sabo. Boy, what a pleasure it is. My dad, Chris, said how much fun he had with you uh, on the Reds caravan. What was that like to get back out there on the caravan again? It's been a while. How you doing, Tom? Long time, uh, no talk. So uh, I know. You doing okay? I'm great. I'm down here in Florida. I mean, the, it's 80 and sunny. I mean, how, how can you beat it? So no, uh, You cannot beat it. And I understand you're playing a lot of good golf right now. My dad told me you're really playing well. Is that safe to say? I'm playing well. I mean, I have my day still. Uh, I'm 61 years old, so it takes a it takes a long time to get my body ready uh, to play. So I, I got a routine I do about an hour every day in order to uh, be able to play some golf. But uh, I try to get out there three or four times a week. Want to go back, Chris, to you growing up uh, in Detroit, Michigan? I always love to ask our guests that we have on every Wednesday. What paint a picture for us, Chris, of what life was like growing up in the Sabo household? Well, it's, uh, it was interesting. Uh, it was uh, pretty much me and my sister. Uh, we lived in Detroit, uh, a little bit in Farmington uh, briefly, but uh, it was great. I loved Detroit. I, obviously, I didn't know anything different. Uh, I was a big sports fan. My, my dad was a big uh, Detroit Tigers, uh, Detroit Red Wing guy, Lions. So uh, sports were big in our family. And uh, you know, back in those days, there, there weren't any uh, video games or really very much on TV. So uh, we were outside pretty much 
as soon as he got back from school until it was time to eat and then uh, back uh, outside <laughs> until it was uh, dark. You were a, uh, you know, uh, uh, living in that house, as you mentioned, with your sister, your mom and dad. Uh, your dad was, my dad was just sharing a few minutes ago about what a great golfer your dad was. But, but, but growing up, you know, your mom, your dad, you were lucky to have them together. As you look back on it now and the kind of father that you are, the kind of husband that you are, or maybe it had something to do with your work ethic, or maybe it had something to do with anything imaginable. When you look back at the lessons you learned from your mom and dad, you would say the one or two most important things to this day now would be what? Well, obviously hard work. Uh, my dad was a plumber and my mom was a waitress. My mom's mo my grandmother, my mom's mom, she was a waitress and she lived to be 100 years old. Uh, so I, I would say hard work and uh, sticking to something. My dad he used to always say that if you start something, try to finish it. So uh, I, I think those are the two big things. And I mean, I still work hard. The body doesn't react like it did 40 years ago, uh, but you do the best you can for the, so you can have some kind of quality of life as you enter the uh, you know the bottom of the ninth inning of your life, so to speak. So uh, uh, yeah, that, that would be it. You know, obviously you pick up good things and bad things as you look back on your on your parents. Uh, obviously there's some bad things, and but there's plenty of good things. And so uh, when you become a parent, you, you, you try to try to emphasize the good things. And uh, I've been blessed with great health, uh, great life. Uh, it's just been awesome. So uh, I have nothing uh, to look back and be embarrassed about or anything like that. I, I want to walk through the three sports that, that, that you played because uh, some might say they're very different. And, and maybe from an emotional standpoint, uh, in the heat of a game or a, a day-in, a day-out routine, they certainly are very different. But, you know, as I was sharing with you a little bit earlier, I, you were a goalie in hockey and a great goalie in hockey. It takes a different kind of guy, in my opinion, to be the goalie in a sport. I have a son that's a goalie in lacrosse and a very good one. Uh, and a goalie in hockey, you, you just get the snot beat out of you. But, but, you know, even though you have a defense around you in hockey or lacrosse or whatever to protect you, it, it, in many ways, it's sort of an individual moment. Can you stop the shot? Can you block the shot? Can you not do it? Golf, the same thing. You're out there walking around. There's not the noise. There's not the crowd. But it's still an individual sport. In baseball, you're at the plate. Yes, it's a team game. But it's a one-on-one -on -one matchup with a pitcher. Do you agree with that synopsis that there are a lot more similarities with those three things and maybe differences in those three things? No, I agree. It's similar. Uh, you've known me for a long time. You, 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 your, your dad's known me for a long time. I, I'm pretty much an introvert, introverted guy anyway. I'm, you know, I like people, but I, you know, I'm just not outgoing as like my daughter Annie is or my wife. Uh, and, and all of those sports, like you just said, have the uh, individual aspect to it. Uh, but except for golf, there's a team uh, aspect to it also. And uh, hockey, I was a good skater. And uh, I always enjoyed being the goalie because I was the last line of defense. I mean, I could, if I played well, I could dictate uh, the outcome of a game. And conversely, if I played terrible, I could... Uh, uh, you know, have the outcome of the game because I played terrible. So uh, that's what I loved about hockey. I loved all the sports. I still do. I mean, I played I played old man hockey until about four or five years ago, and I got bad arthritic feet, so I really can't put skates on anymore. But uh, uh, I agree. They're all different a little bit. But, again, you know, when you're batting, it's just you and the pitcher. Mm -hmm. I mean, Eric Davis, Barry Arkins, I got to come up here and hold me by the waist and try to make me swing. <laughs> so uh, I enjoyed that. But then again, on defense, that's how I could help the team out by making some plays out there. Uh, I, I used to have tremendous slumps hitting, uh, but I, I can honestly say defensively in baseball, at least, I really never went to a slump. I always feel about the same all, all the way through the season. Why did you decide? Because, I mean, you were, you were starting to move up to play at the very highest levels as a hockey goalie. What, what was a determining yeah. factor for you of baseball rather than hockey? I get asked that a lot. And uh, to be quite honest, growing up in Detroit, 
I was known known as the hockey guy, as a hockey player. Obviously, in in uh, Michigan, the baseball season's kind of short, especially in high school. And uh, but hockey was long. We back then we play 110, 120 games a year. And uh, you know, I, I played on teams that won national championships, state championships, all, all that kind of stuff. I went went and played junior hockey. Uh, I was offered all kinds of scholarships in college, Division One, by big schools. Uh, and quite honestly, I tell people I wish I could have played them both. You know, like the Bo Jackson and uh, Dion Sanders. Uh, I thought it was that I was that good. I, I could have played hockey and baseball. But back in the late '70s and early '80s, you, you sort of had to make a choice. And uh, I always liked hitting. I, I, I liked hitting the baseball. I, I liked that challenge of the one-on-one -on -one thing. And uh, so I think that was ultimately. What drove me to baseball at the University of Michigan? Uh, all three years I was there, I was always asked to play hockey by the by the hockey program, and I used to ask the, the, our coach Bud Middaw if if I could play a little hockey, and he said no, and uh, that put an end to that. But uh, I think it all ended up I had to choose, and uh, the hitting part of baseball, which was which was fun, uh, was the deciding factor of me choosing baseball over hockey. When you go to Michigan, I mentioned earlier, you teamed up with Barry Larkin, uh, who uh, I remember him as an athlete coming out of high school. Uh, we're, we're roughly the same age. You and I are roughly the same age. What do you remember about seeing him on a field or, or meeting him for the first time? You recall that going back? I know it's a long time ago. Oh, yeah. I, I remember it. You know, back then, Michigan had some really good baseball teams. Uh, I played there three years. We went to the World Series twice. Uh, finished seventh one year and I think third the year Larkin was there. And uh, to this day, I still think we have the best team in that College World Series that in 1983. You know, but Texas, Texas was loaded. They had Roger Clemens and Calvin Schiraldi and Mike Capel. So they, they had some pitchers that could, you know, obviously major league caliber. Uh, yeah, but I remember Barry. I'm, I'm a couple years older. So uh, my last year at Michigan, he was a freshman and uh, he came in with a lot of hoopla. Uh, you know, Moeller, uh, you know, I didn't know what I heard about Cincinnati Moeller, you know, growing up in Detroit, but I, I knew I didn't know anything about Cincinnati. I'd never been to Cincinnati in my life. I pretty much, pretty much just Michigan and uh, Canada. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I remember him. He was a high draft pick uh, out of high school by the, by the Reds. I don't know if he's a first rounder. He's either the first or second rounder. Mm -hmm. And he came to Michigan with a lot of hoopla. Uh, he had to choose between football and uh, baseball. He chose baseball, and uh, you could tell right away he he was a little raw in, in that freshman year, like we like all of us were, uh, our freshman year in college when you actually start playing baseball a little bit more. Uh, but you could just tell he he had all the tools, all the five tools that you that you uh, you gauge players by, and you, you knew it was just a matter of time uh, once he got the experience that he he's going to be a great player. Uh, now, did I think he was going to be a, uh, a Hall of Fame type of player? No, but uh, I definitely thought he was going to have a great collegiate career, which he did, and he was going to make a he was going to play in the big leagues someday as long as he stayed healthy. He was great. You you, you get drafted uh, by the Reds, you sign, and 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 you're uh, five years in the minor leagues. Now comes '88, um, and uh, you're in big league camp. First of all, what was it like to play or, or just walk into a clubhouse, put on a uniform, and the guy standing at the other end of the dugout or standing next to you uh, while you're taking BP is Pete Rose? Oh, my God. I, I love Pete. Pete, Pete was great. And he, obviously, he liked me. Uh, I had been in spring training a couple times before, and he was always nice to me. I, I didn't play that much, uh, but it was great being around all those guys, him and Buddy Bell, Dave Parker. I mean, Terry Francona was there uh, for, for a year. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a quiet guy for the most part. So I, I just sat, me, I remember me and Paul O'Neill, we, we were, you know, on the same track to the big leagues. We used to, we used to just sit in the corner there, me, me number 50, and I, I forgot what number Paul was. I'm sure he was a high number. And we just sat there and listened to all of them. Uh, Pete telling stories, Dave Parker telling stories. And uh, it was awesome. I mean, I, I love Pete. I mean, obviously, uh, he's a gigantic reason why 
I had the career I did in the major leagues. He believed in me, and uh, you know I, I have nothing but good things to say about Pete, Peter Edward. When, when, when you look back at 88 and you go on and you win the National League's Rookie of the Year Award, when, when you're able to think back to spring training that year, and look, every player's got to have confidence, almost to the point where it's, it's a big ego. They don't have to show it off to everybody, but you've got to believe in yourself if anybody else is going to believe in you, right? Would you have thought in a million years when you show up in spring training in 88 that you'd be the Rookie of the Year in the National League? I didn't think that. I, I never thought in, in those kind of terms as far as awards or anything. I, I, I would just, you know, I, I always felt the same way in the minors and, and every level of ball I ever played. You know, we, we won a state championship in high school. Uh, we went to the College World Series and in, in, uh, in college. Uh, we won a few uh, minor league uh, championships when I was in the minor leagues. And I was fortunate enough to uh, win in the, in the major leagues, the World Series. Uh, I was more of a team gold type of guy and I, I figured if I could help the team win uh, you get all the recognition you want uh, so, so so that was my mindset but you know to your point of being confident I, I don't think I was cocky but I, I, was, I was always confident uh, like I tell my players when I coach and I've coached a long time in, in pros and I coach the IMG Academy down here in Florida their top team and uh, I got Akron's uh, program started up there in, uh, in Ohio uh, I I have no idea how many times I went to bat in my whole life. I go, but I guarantee you that there hasn't been one time in that whole sequence of ABs, thousands and thousands and thousands of time, times that I did not think I was not going to get a hit. Mm -hmm. Every single, I don't care if Nolan Ryan was on the mound, Clemens, Maddox, Smoltz, you name a pitcher. I, I thought I was going to get a hit. Uh, obviously, that's not true. I mean, you know, I was a 270 hitter in the big leagues, for God's sakes. So, uh, but you, but you have to have the confidence. I, I was always ready defensively. The ball's going to be hit to me. I'm going to pick it up, throw them out. I always knew where to throw the ball. Uh, so I don't know if that's confidence, but uh, it's more of like I was always prepared. I was prepared to go. And uh, uh, still the most exciting moment of, of a baseball game for me was that walk from the on-deck circle, like a riverfront, going to the plate. That was exciting. They, they announce your name, you, you're walking up there, and now the battle begins with, with again, you know, the Maddox, the Smoltz, David Cones of the world. So, uh, yeah, you have to be confident. Uh, but my mindset was always about teams. You know, we won World Series once, and I honestly thought we were going to win a ton of them. Mm -hmm. But all we did was win one. I mean, Paul O'Neill's my, uh, my best friend. And I go, dude, the, the best thing ever happened to you, you got to trade the Yankees. You, you got to win four – Four or five more titles. You're lucky. I wish they would have traded me with you. So, uh, yeah, confidence is, is key to any, anything you do in life, honestly. When um, you talk about that stroll to the plate, in very short order, you became uh, a, a huge fan favorite in this town. I was still working here when you came up to the big leagues and working at Channel 5 and broadcasting initially with Johnny Bench and the Reds games on TV. And look – there were a lot of great stars on those teams and that group that you had all come up together, whether it was Eric Davis or Barry Larkin or Paul O'Neill or Cal Daniels, you know, all these, Kurt Stillwell, uh, Tracy Jones was even off to a great start early in his career before he got hurt. But there were a lot of these guys that came up together, but you were the guy that for whatever reason, and I'm curious why you think uh, it's a reason, if you've ever thought about it at all, that seemed to have the greatest connection with the fans, even though, as you admitted earlier, you may not have been the most outgoing guy in the world. What do you think? Did you sense that connection with the Reds fans right almost from the get-go? I, I guess. I mean, uh, I was just thrilled to be playing, and, and you're right. I mean, I was nowhere near the top uh, of the food chain of far, as far as talent on those, on those teams. You know, with the Eric Davises and Larkins and, you know, the Buddy Bells and you know, Paul. And I, mean, I, can go, I can go down the list of all the great players. Uh, I, I don't know why the fans, you know, I, I wasn't from Cincinnati. I know how Cincinnati is, that they really like people from Cincinnati. You know, I was a Detroiter. Uh, and I, I think they liked me because I tried hard. And may, maybe they just sensed that, you know, I wasn't the most talented guy on that team. 
I, I think I was an important guy in those teams, mm-hmm. but I wasn't the most important guy. You know, they, they could get away with me not playing, but I, I don't know if you can get away with Larkin missing two or three months. Uh, but I, I think I tried hard, and I wore those goggles, you know, and I, I had a short haircut, so who knows? <laughs> you know, I wasn't the biggest, wasn't the biggest guy around, and uh, and I enjoy signing autographs. Maybe that had to do it. That you know, I, I thought that was part of the job. Try to sign as many autographs as you could, because you know these people came to the game, and you know this might be the only game they they came to all year, and you know, and if they can get an autograph, you know, I remember going to Detroit Tiger games, and uh, I really wasn't into autographs, but. If you yelled like Al Kaline's name or Norm Cash and, or Mickey Lolich and, and they gave you a little wave, I mean, that was big deal. So uh, maybe that was it. Maybe I signed a lot of autographs. Uh, I'm not a deep thinker in those kind of terms. So uh, I, I never thought about it. I, I never worried about it one way or another. I, I did my best. Uh, when I went to the car or to a restaurant around town, and I remember seeing you and Bill Hemmer running around town in those early years. Yeah. That, that was fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 like, like I tell people, 99.9% of the people I've ever met are, are good people, you know, so uh, that's the way I look at things. Well, they still love you here. I, I mean, it's amazing. In our chat right now, the people are just bringing up memories of you as a player. That World Series, I was in um, – I was already doing the Cubs games in 1990, but I had been asked to come back to do some stuff in the postseason with Channel 5. So I was traveling around during the league championship series against the Pirates um, and going to all the games and then ultimately the World Series going to the games. But, but I remember being in Lou Pinella's office uh, after you guys had just won the LCS. And Jimmy Stewart, you'll remember the legendary scout the Reds had, yeah. Jimmy Stewart. Um, he was sitting in the office. I just happened to be in there. There were only about four or five of us on there. And Lou Pinella had said, uh, Jimmy had brought this book like this thick. And, and, and it, was, it was his complete scouting report on the Oakland Athletics. And as Lou was opening the thing, Lou casually just says to him, hey, what do you think? And Jimmy Stewart says, you're going to sweep these guys. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, look, did he have a crystal ball? Of course not. But, but what I'm getting at ultimately here is, look, you guys were a young, emerging team. You got, I mean, you're so young, that club. I mean, Buddy had moved on by then. Parker had moved on by then. It was the nucleus of a very young team, um, really outside of Browning. He wasn't all that old, uh, truth be told, but Reho and so forth on the mound. When, when you go to play the World Series, and this is a general question, do players get intimidated at all by the guys you're getting ready to go toe-to-toe with? I mean, you might think you can beat them, but, but, but is there an initial intimidation factor that maybe you had to get over before you played that Oakland team? <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're asking that question to the wrong guy. I mean, I can only speak for myself. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I always thought I was going to get a hit, and I always, I always thought we were going to kick ass. So, uh, no, I, I, I could care less of the Oakland A's. I, I didn't care. They, they were big, muscular guys. So what? You know, big, you know, yeah, if all you needed was muscles to hit a baseball, Arnold Schwarzenegger probably should have hit a thousand home runs. <laughs> but, he, but, but I'm sure he couldn't hit. So, uh, no, I remember them coming to Riverfront and taking BP, and they were hitting balls in the red seats. And I said, that's great. You know, wait till they face Rio and Danny Jackson and see how they hit. So, uh, no. Now, we, we were very confident. Uh, again, we were used to winning. You know, like I said, we, we, were, we, we were always in the playoffs in the minor leagues. We were always competing against championships. Uh, my first couple years in the big leagues, we had good teams. So, uh, yeah, we were very confident. Now, I don't think there was a guy in that clubhouse who didn't think we were going to win the World Series. But, you know, no, no one could have uh, no, no said we'd have won four straight. Uh, but why not get it done? It's like pulling a Band-Aid. Pull it off quick. <laughs> um, you, you go nine for 16. You hit the two home runs. Um, uh, game three, I think it was, against Mike Moore. Um, and, and you pull off the sweep. Uh, you hit 583. You knock in five. You even walk a couple of times. 
What do you think it is, Chris? And maybe there's no way of answering this question. I have no idea. But I, I find it just fascinating, and maybe it's just good luck or bad luck. or I, I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But, but, but what is it about guys or, or being able to sort of tune out the noise of playing on the biggest stage with the most pressure? Do you think there's something to be said for that? You know, whether it's at the major league level, minor league level, collegiate level, summer league level. Do, do, do you sense there's just some guys that are able to do that? Well, to be quite honest, my whole life has been that way in all the sports I've played. You know, I always played the best in the biggest games. Hockey, you know, the championship games, state championship, national championship games, uh, baseball, uh, I had problems in the run-of-the-mill games. You know, that's why my hitting went up and down so much. I mean, I, I don't know if I, if I get bored or, I mean, you know, my mind would wander. I have no idea. But uh, I always play good in big games in every sport, even now in golf. If I go play like a qualifier or something like that, I always seem to play a little bit better than I do just, you know, playing the beer golf with my buddies. So uh, I don't know. For me, it was uh, – I had that. I had a real good ability to really concentrate, and uh, crowd size or lack of crowd size didn't bother me one way or another. I mean, I, I won championships uh, when there was nobody in the stands, and then I won championships when there was fifty thousand people in the stands. So uh, I, I just think it's the ability, the focus, and, and just concentrate on what you can do, and don't try to do anything you can't do. You know. I, I wasn't going to hit balls in the red seats. It'd, it'd be stupid for me to even try to do that. Uh, my goal is just try to hit the ball as hard as I could. You know, whether it was on the ground, line drive, if I happen to get under it, may, maybe a home run. But uh, the ability to concentrate, I think, is special. And uh, and the bigger the game, the more I enjoyed it. I, I don't know why. I just thought it was more fun. Uh, people ask me, do I, do I ever get nervous? I go, no, I, I never got nervous in any sport. I've ever played. Now, do I get excited and anxious? Yeah. I don't think that's nervous, but uh, I just look forward to it. You know, and as a hitter, sometimes I got me in trouble a little bit. I really had to tone it down, you know, because I, I love swinging the bat, you know, so I'd swing at almost everything. So uh, I had to tone it down and make sure I got a good pitch to hit. But uh, I enjoyed those big, big games. I wish I could have played a lot more of them, to tell you the truth. And not, now the only thing I really got is golf. And uh, I play this old, old man golf. But I, I still try to play in tournaments just to get that blood going a little bit and get, get a little bit of excitement. Where are those specs now, by the way? You still got them, the ones you used to play in back, back in the days with the red legs? No, I, I, I don't. I get, I, I, I get asked that probably once a day somewhere. And uh, I think the last ones I had, I gave the Reds Hall of Fame. I, I think they're in there somewhere. And, uh, but I don't have any at home or, or, uh, maybe there's some in storage somewhere. If I, you know, once I'm dead and gone, the, the, the kids can go looking for them and probably buried in some box with all the, <laughs> all the balls and bats. I have probably my world series rings probably back in there too, somewhere. You play in three all-star games, talked about your great, uh, defensive prowess down at third base. Uh, injury certainly became a factor uh, for you, as they do with, with so many others. Uh, as you look back and you talked about you wish you had a chance to play in more big games and more World Series and all that kind of things. But, 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 but for you, as you look back on your career, um, you remember what the most? Oh, baseball? I remember my, my first opening day uh, in 1988 against St. Louis. Joe McGrain. Uh, Joe McGrain pitching. Uh, that's still the, the highlight of my baseball career. Uh, I, I got to the big leagues, and uh, I remember we were playing. Uh, we were playing in Louisville either the day or the day before uh, opening day, and I remember I was playing, and I, I was sitting in the dugout, and Pete come up to me. I, I was leaning on the rail, and uh, Pete come up to him and gave him a little elbow, and he goes, "Hey, Spuds." I go, "Yeah," and uh, he goes. Uh, Buddy, Buddy's not going to be able to go on opening day, so uh, you're in there. I said, I'm ready, Skip. Let's go. And uh, so I was all excited, and uh, I remember calling my parents and stuff like that, saying, hey, uh, I'm not going to be on the bench opening day. I'm, I'm going to be starting. 
uh, I don't know where I'm going to be hitting and what spot of the order, and uh, but I'll, I'll be playing uh, against the Cardinals on the opening day. And uh, I got my first hit. Uh, I don't know if I made, I might have had a couple plays. I don't remember that, but I, I do remember getting a hit. Uh, sort of got jammed a little bit and hit it in the short left field. Um, I want to focus now a little bit more, Chris, on on your post playing career. You you get into coaching. Um, and, and you're, you're a positive guy by nature. I mean, I I read a lot of articles about you coming up to this interview today, and you talk a lot about, uh, the importance of being positive. There's no sense in, in planting negative thoughts or things like that into players' minds, but you're also a tell it like it is kind of a guy. So sometimes those two things can, can cross over to one another. I asked Bob Huggins this question, uh, a few weeks ago about young players, do they want to be coached? Do they want to be coached hard? From what you see, do, do you think they still want to be coached hard? I, I do. I, I do. As long as you're respectful. You know, you know, you, you know I, I'm not a guy to be dropping out bombs on guys in, in, like that. Uh, I think if you're respectful and, and if you're actually, tr- you know, believe it or not, I, I'm actually a pretty good coach. Because uh, because once I start doing that, I, I, I'm really talking to them. You know, I'm from the old Jimmy Hoff, Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I, mean, I still got Jimmy Hoff's, the old uh, Reds player development guy, his playbook. And I, and I use the same plays for the last 40 years. They still work. They're still great. I still use the same signs. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think they do. And like I said, I've, I've coached pro. You know, I've, I've work, I work with Votto and the Bruces of the world. And, and I went to IMG Academy down here. Had, first and second round guys and, you know, high, elite high school players. And I, then when coached the D1 college ball. Yeah, they, they want to be coached. Uh, it's different. I mean, you got to adjust. Like I said, I'm 61 years old. I mean, I got to know who uh, Rihanna is. I got to know who uh, all this <laughs> stuff is. It doesn't mean I do Twitter or, or any of that kind of nonsense. But uh, you, you still have to be aware and uh, tr- try to relate in their terms. Uh but as long as, as long as they think that you're trying to help them be, become a better player, uh, I, I think they're positive. Uh, and I, you know, like you said, I am I am short and blunt, and sometimes that's caused me problems in my life. Uh, but but I think it's honest. And I, like I said, why uh, why pussy around the the bush? You know, just get yeah. right to the point. And uh, you know, that's all I wanted as a player. You know, either tell me I stink or tell me I'm good. Either or. If I stink, I'll try to get better. If I'm good, I'll try to get even better. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with Huggins. You know, he's shit, he's, he's older than me, I'm sure. So, uh, trying to make, make him get better. And uh, and you got to watch yourself a little bit as far as your language and stuff like that. Kids aren't – it's not the same world as it was when I was playing. Trust mm-hmm. me. Some of the coaches I had – in hockey and in baseball 40, 45 years ago, they'd probably be in jail now the way the world is. But, uh, yeah, you, you got to adjust. You know, uh, my big thing in, in all sports is adjustments. you got to adjust when you're hitting. It's, it's not adjusting game to game. It's adjusting pitch to pitch, you know, depending on what this guy has and, and what you have that day. You know, hitting-wise, you, you don't have the same bat speed every day. It's just the way it is. So you got to go with what you got. In golf, you don't have the same swing every day. You know, if I normally hit a little little draw, and today it's not drawn as much, it's sort of going a little straight, maybe a little right. You got to adjust. I got you got to go with that today. So uh, I enjoy coaching the, uh, the young guys uh, now. Uh, it sort of gives you a, a thrill because I can't play anymore. I can't run. I can't slide. Uh, but you can teach those guys to do that and try to do it the right way. Uh, even though we we didn't have good teams in college, uh, I was proud of the way they played. And uh, and uh, they all tried hard, and they all tried to listen to what we were trying to do, and, uh, trying to do, and they all got better. You know, did they get, become good enough to be a pro player? No, but from the time they entered the program to the time they, they exited, they got better. And as a coach, that's all you that's all you can hope for, trying to get everybody a little bit better. Well, I, I liked your comments, Chris, when you talked about. Um... You know, while you were still in the middle of that whole relaunching of the Akron uh, baseball program, and I don't think anybody has any idea except for a guy like you and a few others that have been through it, 
on what that's got to be like to try and literally start up and find players and a bunch of walk-on guys and tryouts and all that sort of stuff. But, but I liked your comments uh, very much, and Coach Huggins uh, said a lot of the same, and there are a lot of coaches that certainly feel this way. Not all of them, but I think overwhelming majority, most of them. You talked about how you felt it was also your responsibility to ultimately make them not only better players, but one day better people, better husbands, better dads. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, Barry Bonds is by far the best player I've ever seen. It's not to me. It's not even close. Uh, you can t- you can say it whatever you want about whatever, uh, but he was awesome. I used to, he was awesome to watch, best player. Uh, but even him, Babe Ruth, you know, by the time they're forty years old, they're done, and and hopefully you're gonna have another 30, 40 years of life left. What what, what you know? There's more to life than that. So I mean, you got to be a good guy. You you, you got to try to teach these these kids stuff besides baseball you know I, I think sports is a good avenue to teach life lessons and uh you gotta you gotta teach them you know hey you, you don't, don't treat people like that now what are you yelling at that guy if that guy says hello say, say hello you know it's, it's common courtesy so yeah i agree uh you teach them baseball but in the, but in the same sense you, you try to teach them how to live their life a little bit how, how to be responsible i i think that's the biggest thing responsibility you know, hey, I, I've screwed up with the best of them. Uh, made terrible mistakes in my life. But, you know, but you learn from them. You know, that's what my dad and my parents used to say. You, you're going to make mistakes. I, I'm a very spiritual guy. I mean, you know, you, you're going to make mistakes. But that's what forgiveness is, is mm-hmm. all about. So uh, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. So, yeah, when I teach, uh, it's not only about baseball. It's not about hitting and fielding and how to slide properly, how to take a lead off. Uh, it's also, hey, what, what are you going to do out the field? You know, like an old grizzled minor league coach I, I had a long time ago. Nothing good happens after midnight, so get your ass back in bed. So uh, <laughs> I, used to, I used to tell kids that all the time. Well, what the hell are you out, out at 2 o'clock in the morning for? Get your ass back in bed. That's when all the bad stuff happens. I wish my dad would have told me that. Uh, well, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We're all guilty of that at some point. Well, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, when you left Akron um, uh, just a year ago, you know, I, I've always felt like, and look, I, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I, I've always felt like there are certain guys by their approach, and we've heard a lot about your approach and, and your mental makeup and that kind of thing. And look, I don't work for the Reds anymore, so I'm not beholden to anybody down there uh, anymore. They're not signing a paycheck. But I always saw it even the years I was working there and the years I was working for somebody else. There are certain guys that should be working inside of certain franchises. You called this place your home for a long, long time. Now you're down in Florida, and that, that's it's awesome. But, uh, you know, if, if the situation presented itself, w- w- would you be open to once again putting on a, a red uniform at some level and, and getting back out there and coaching again because you have so much to still give back? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, honestly, I mean, I, I, I've asked the Reds for over a decade to come back and, and I, I don't want to be in the big leagues. I, I want to work with player development. That, that's the key to making this franchise. I mean, it, it still upsets me that, 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 that the franchise is, is doing what they're doing. Uh, it's the oldest franchise. It's, it's every bit as historic as the Yankees or as the Dodgers, or the heated rival when I was, I was, I was playing. Uh, and I, I want them to get back there. You know, and then, you know I was with uh, the general manager, Nick Crawl uh, on, on the caravan. And, you know, I was asked that many a time on, on, the, uh, on the caravan by the fans and stuff, you know, how come you're not uh, in the organization helping out? And I go, it's not for lack of trying, believe me. Uh, but they have their, you know, they have their own way of doing things, and that's fine. Uh, but I think I would have a lot to offer. Uh, I'm not irrelevant. I, I've been coaching young kids for the last 10, 10 years, 10, 12 years. Uh, so it's it's not that. And I'm in good shape at 61. I still throw batting practice for hours and fungos and all that kind of good stuff. But, yeah, to answer your question, I would love to be in player development trying to help this organization get back to not only the playoffs 
but, but getting back to the World Series and winning another one. I mean, it's approaching one of the longest droughts in Reds history as far as uh, a winning a World Series. Uh, I mean, it's got to be close. You know, it's been 30, 33 years. So uh, I would love to do that uh, one more time. Uh, really, the Reds organization is the only organization I'd probably do this with at this point in my life because I, I have a deep uh, feeling in my heart for, for that organization. Uh, I mean, I've been approached even since I retired in June by uh, a few organizations and and that kind of stuff about doing uh, some baseball stuff. And I said, no, nah, it's not really the time yet. But if the Reds approached me, sure, I'd, I'd love to do it. And I'm easy. I mean, I, I, I want to work with the with the young guys. So, so when, when, when they come up through the organization, they're ready to go. It, it shouldn't ha you shouldn't have to wait till they get to the big leagues to know what the hell you're doing. You know, and I, I bring up Jimmy Hoff, his name, name a lot, because he meant a lot to us. He, he taught everyone when I was coming up the Reds way. And uh, it was a special way, special plays. You know, we, we do cutoffs this way. We field bunts this way. Uh, we lead off bases this way. Uh, we wear a uniform a certain way. Uh, and I always bring him up because he had a, a great effect. He just passed away a couple years ago, but uh, he had a great effect on me. And uh, and uh, like I told Nick, I, I, I told him straight up. I mean, yeah, I mean, it all starts with player development. There's no reason in hell that Cleveland and Tampa Bay can have the type of program they have and the Reds don't. St. Louis, come on. You know, we're, we're better than that. And uh, I believe that wholeheartedly. And uh, I mean, Nick, Nick said some good stuff on the caravan, and I go, I hope, I hope it works out. Uh, you know, and Annie, my daughter's working for the Reds as far as for a TV girl. Uh, so you know, for her sake, it's more fun uh, telecasting when the team's doing well than we're doing bad. So uh, that's a long way of saying yes. I, I would love to do it, but I, I'm, I'm almost to the point. I, I really don't ask anymore. I, I've done that for years, and uh, you pretty much get to run around and. Uh, so uh, now this is my fourth time retiring uh, in various aspects of my life. Uh, I'm enjoying golf, you know, but I, I, you know, it's getting baseball season and I am getting the itch to do stuff. So now uh, yeah, I might have to go do some private lessons or something around here with some of my buddies so I can start throwing batting practice and hit some fungos again. When, um, when you look at the state of baseball, Chris, and I'm curious, uh, you know, and, and look, um, I, I'm not a fan of the whole sabermetrics thing. And, and, and you know, I understand a lot of information is a really good thing. But, you know, if a guy hits a ball and his exit velocity is 120 miles an hour, but it's caught in center field for an out. I'd rather have the guy that just hit the ball 90 miles an hour that floats one a jam shot over the third baseman said for a base hit. Okay, end of story for me. Now everybody might feel differently about that. Um, but do you think, what's your, what's your feeling about the whole movement and evolution of the game and being largely centered on sabermetrics? Well, I, mean, I think that's a tool. It just can't be the only tool. Hey, le hey, listen. If, if I'm managing, and, and, and you give me you give me some stats and all that kind of stuff, that hey, this guy hits the ball this way 80% of the time on the ground. Yeah, I mean that that's good information. Uh, but 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 all this exit velocity and stuff like that, that's all good. But I used to tell you know, big leaguers, it's fine. I mean they, they have the supreme talent, you know. Now my kids, like in high school and college, I mean they're they're trying to hit the ball like like the big leaguers. Oh, my exit velocity is this way, and they hit the ball in the air. And and to your point, they hit the ball in the air and it goes to the warning track. It, it doesn't work. You know, you, you can only hit the ball in the air if you can do two things. You can hit the ball over the outfielder's head, and hit it over the fence. Those are the two things. If you're incapable of hitting the ball in the air and doing any of those two things, you shouldn't be hitting the ball in the air. You should be hitting the ball on the ground, hitting line drives. Well, now, I'm not the biggest guy. I, you know, I could hit a home run here and there. But uh, I was always taught, that just hit the ball hard. Don't, I don't try to lift it. Don't try to do anything. Now, when I was playing, it was a line drive. Try to hit a hard line drive. If you got under a little bit, it could go out. If you got on top of it a little bit, you hit a hard ground ball. Uh, 
so yeah, I, I think uh, sabermetrics and all that analytic stuff is good. It's not the end all. It's not the end all. I mean, baseball is played in actual dirt, grass, heat, rain, cold, and uh, it's all it's all relative to what's going on at that particular time. Like I said earlier, you know, guys don't feel the same. I could be 0 for 20 against David Cohn, but I could be feeling great that day, and Cohn could be off a little bit. All of a sudden, that 0 for 20 doesn't mean anything because he's horseshit and I'm feeling good. I get a couple hits, you know? So I, I think all that stuff is just a tool. You, you analyze it and you use it the best of your ability, but eventually it comes down to mano a mano, guy against guy. And all those stats in the world, I mean, you know, they all make mistakes. No one's, per they're not robots out there. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're not playing on a computer. They're out there. Garrett Cole is going to hang a slider one of these times. Trust me. And that's, that's the ball you jump on. Now, if he throws that slider the way he's supposed to, you're toast. But, you know, I have enough experience to know he ain't that good. He's going to hang a couple. And, th and those are the ones you, you capitalize on. Um, you have a son-in-law that is a uh, professional golfer trying to get his way to the point uh, of getting on the PGA Tour. I have to believe, and maybe I'm a thousand percent wrong, I have no idea. I mean, you're able to get out and play with him. You may not be able to play as well as him, obviously. But I would imagine that it would probably be a smart idea uh, for him to lean on you a little bit more on, on, on the mental part of the game. Does he do that? Well, he, he is on the PGA Tour. He, okay, he, I beg your pardon. Not. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's actually uh, he's, he's in the field this week at the Honda Classic down here at, uh, in West Palm in Florida. So I, I know Annie and his dad's caddying for him. His dad, Jim, his name's Kevin Roy. His dad's name's Jim Roy. And uh, Kevin, yeah, he's, he's, I played with him many times. He's got all the tools. Uh, I played with uh, a lot of PGA guys, and uh, he's good enough to make it. But again, it's, it's just like baseball. You know, once you get to the major leagues, everybody can play. Everybody's good. So, so how do you separate yourself? And, and to your point, I, I believe it is mental. Uh, mentally tough, being able to handle the adversity, be able to hap, uh, handle the bad times as well as the good times. That's that's a, that's a science too, handling the, the uh, good times. Uh, but yeah, uh, I, I think I'm a good guy for mental, uh, but I don't stick my nose into where it's not wanted or where it's not asked. Now, if, now if Kevin uh, would ask me about some stuff, I'd, I'd be more than willing to get, give my opinion. But I'm sort of old school in the way. I'm just not gonna. First of all, he's not my parent. He's my mm -hmm. he's my son-in-law. Uh, he's not my son. He's my son-in-law. And uh, and I've told Annie. I go, hey, if you ever want to talk mentally, you know, even though I never played golf at his level, uh, I did play sports at a high level in a few sports. And uh, I I know the importance of the mental aspect, because all those guys are good. I mean. The difference between him and Rory McIlroy isn't isn't much. It's just a sliver. And, and what's the difference? You know, if all things are equal, you work out, you practice. It, it's the mental, the the mental aspect. You know, how do you handle it? You know, how do you handle? You know, well, all of a sudden you're you're five under after seven holes. Uh, the, you know, the good players keep going, try to make five under, ten under. You know, or does five under? Once you get the five under, you you, you get you get nervous, and all of a sudden you turn the five under into two under. You know, you, you, you turn a potential great round into a, a good round. You know, but, but the, the really play, the players that make make it out there just keep the, the, the you know, when it's going good, you, you keep it going. You know, I remember talking to Carl Yastrzemski, the great uh, baseball player for the Red Sox for years, and uh, and he used to talk about waves. Baseball, you, you're hitting, you're always, you're in waves. You're, you're at the bottom of a wave, or you're, you're on the top of the wave surfing. And once you're on top, you got to ride that all the way to the beach. You know, ride that wave as far as you can, because eventually you're going to fall off and, and hit, the, hit the skids. So uh, I think that you can use that analogy for any sport. Once you're playing good, take advantage of it. Try to get as low as possible and uh, do that. He hasn't come to me yet, uh, but if he does, I'd be more than happy to talk to him. 
lastly, uh, you're, you're, you mentioned your daughter, Annie, and, and uh, she has just done, and, and I don't say this because you're on the show. I was talking about this with Brandon Seho and, and, and Paul Fritchner and Casey McAllister about this. What, what a great job she has done, but she's earned her stripes. You know, when I had a chance to talk to her a year ago, you know, she's busting her tail with a Big Ten network. She was doing some stuff down there in Florida uh, and, and all that kind of thing. That's uh, got to be really cool for you. Uh, to see her doing what she's doing now, and especially doing it uh, with, with the Cincinnati Reds. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, like like you said, you know, uh, obviously you're in the business. Uh, it's very competitive, just like sports. It's very tough, and it's very tough to get from the minor leagues to the to the major leagues in broadcasting. So uh, yeah, she's paid her dues. I mean, she's been in Corpus Christi. She's been all over the place trying to follow her dream. She's always wanted to do this. And uh, I think she's pretty good. You know, like anything else, you got you to gotta keep getting better. And uh, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for her with the Reds. I mean, she grew up in Cincinnati. She went to school in Cincinnati, high school. Uh, so she is a Cincinnati girl. So uh, she loves the Reds. And uh, she's just, she's fortunate to have this gig. And uh, I'm just waiting for her to get her schedule. So, uh, me and Susan can plan our times when we're going to go up and, and see her and see my mom up in Cincinnati. And, uh, but she does good. But, uh, like you said, as you know, she works hard. She yeah. tries to prepare the best she can. She's a hard worker. Uh, always trying to improve and, uh, but it's tough. It's a, it's a tough business. So, uh, you know, I've talked to her quite a bit about the mental side of stuff and, you know, cause, uh, it can be, as you know, it, it can be a brutal business. It's, it's brutal. Well, there's no doubt about that. But, uh, Chris, I tell you, man, I, th th this has been uh, just fantastic having you uh, on the show. And, and, and I know so many Reds fans that are in on this chat while we're doing this show are, are just so excited to have you. And, and everybody would love to see you back. Uh, nobody more than me uh, growing up a Reds fan. Nobody would, would be happier to see you back in some form or fashion. Uh, working with the Cincinnati Reds again. And, and hopefully, if uh, you, when you get into town this summer, hopefully we'll have a chance to catch up and say hello in person. Can't thank you enough for your time today, man. All right, Tom. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, contact you. Maybe we'll uh, go out and get a hamburger or something. That'd be great. I'm all in. Chris, all the best, man. Tell Susan and the kids hello, all right? All right. Thank you. All right. Chris Sabo. Boy, how good was that? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.